We read scripture from Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who hath forgiven all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemed thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We read God's Word that far. May God bless His Word to our hearts. In connection with this passage and others to which we'll make reference, we have the teaching of Lord's Day 9. Question and answer 26. It's found in the back of our Psalters on page 7. Question 26, what believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, his Son, my God and my Father on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt, but he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body, 
And further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. For he is able to do it, being almighty God and willing, being a faithful father. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, when one stands before the wonder of creation and realizes how small, how vulnerable he or she is, there's a natural reaction. And it's that of fear. We realize how great God is. We realize His majesty, His glory. We realize that He created the whole world in which we live. That He's the one that's fashioned all things. And not only is He... God of all, ruling over all things by His might and by His power. He's the one that formed all that exists. And as such, He's the one who rules according to His sovereign power, majesty, and will. He sends the storm. He sends the rain. He sends His angels to take His children to heaven. He also sends others to hell on the basis of their unbelief and wickedness. This is the God before whom we stand. And when we take out a telescope and we begin to look around and we look at the stars, we try to look at the moon with a telescope, we especially realize how great the world is, how magnificent the galaxy is, and how insignificant we are. In comparison to God, His greatness, His glory, who am I and what am I? A mere man, a mere woman, a mere child. And then there's the fear that sets in as well. Fears and concerns associated with life. There's worries. Worrying about our homes. Worrying about the economy. Worrying about our jobs. Worrying about storms or fires or all kinds of things that could adversely affect us. There's concerns that revolve around our salvation. about eternity, about hell. Many fears are faced by people in other lands, other countries, about spirits and about the work of spirits, that those who die come back again in some spirit way and they are viewed as potential enemies. And so their whole life is lived in fear of these spirits and what these spirits might do to them. And how these spirits might adversely affect them. Others view the idol gods as those who are horrible and terrible and those before whom we have to stand to appease. And therefore, they live in terror, concerned about all the things that might take place about them. And beloved, if we're honest with ourselves, there's fears that live within our hearts and within our souls. How do we respond? There's only one comfort. And what's that comfort? I have a father. I have a Father in heaven who loves me. And this great God is my Father. That's the beautiful message that Psalm 103 here brings out. Psalm 103, in a marvelous way, covers so much of that which would give occasion for fear. And Psalm 103, in verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. In the midst of all of the greatness of the creation and my own personal vulnerability, in the midst of the storm, the powers of the world, over against the devil and his influences and the temptations he sends my way, Jehovah is my Father. 
And He takes care of me. He watches over me. He preserves and keeps me. And He loves me with an everlasting love. And He uses the vastness of the creation in which I live as a tool in His hand to provide for me and for my needs. All the earthly disasters, all the pain, all the suffering, not only come from His fatherly hand, but are turned to my advantage. We can't fathom how that can be and the wonder of it. But the catechism here addresses the wonder. When I confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I'm confessing the heart and source of my comfort. I'm confessing a wondrous truth that not only says something about God, but says something about how I am to live and how I am to walk before Him in fellowship and communion without fear, without concern, knowing that He holds me in His hand. We look at that this morning, beloved. I believe in God the Father, noting three things. First of all, that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, that God is the Father of the whole of creation, as the Catechism points out. And finally, that He's my Father, for Christ's sake. First of all, we start with the general idea of fatherhood as we have God, the Father of Jesus Christ. When we confess God, the Father Almighty, we're talking about the triune God, first of all. And there's some basic things that we think about when we're talking about a father. A father is someone who has children. A father is someone who has children who derive their being, their resemblance from him. And not only do those children resemble him physically, but those children have personalities and even a spiritual way, according to the wonder of God's covenant faithfulness, will resemble their parent. A father is someone who provides for his children. He spends time laboring on behalf of his family. He gives of himself and makes many sacrifices for the children that God has given. If he has just a little food, he's going to sacrifice much of that food, time or money or energy for the sake of those children whom he loves. They're the objects of his love. And he desires that they be well cared for and provided for. A father pities his children. He loves them. He seeks to meet their needs. Similar and related, a father protects his children. He's there watching over them, keeping them from harm and from danger and doing everything he can to protect them spiritually, physically, out of love for them. He doesn't want to see them fall into temptation and walk in the ways of sin. And so he's admonishing, he's warning, he's cautioning them. And when they do get into danger, he's present with his loving advice and with his loving admonition and care. A father. Now God's fatherhood is where all of these characteristics have their origin. When we think of what it means to be a father, we start with God. God is Father. And God's children resemble Him by virtue of their spiritual resemblance. He creates and fashions them after His own image so that we look like Him in a spiritual way by a wonder of His grace. He cares for us. He admonishes. He protects. He provides as a perfect Father every need that His children have. Now from eternity... 
God the Father determined that he would create all things for the sake of Jesus Christ, his beloved Son. And so this relationship, which begins within the Trinity, comes to expression in time. Within God's counsel, the triune God determined that he would send Jesus Christ in human flesh. And so when Jesus makes reference to the Father, he's not referring simply to the first person of the Trinity. He's referring to the whole of the triune God as the triune God sent him into the world in order to perform the work that God had determined. And that's the emphasis here, that Jesus Christ looks to God and confesses God as Father. Now, you children are perceptive, and you would say then, well, that means that he's talking to himself in a sense. And you're right. When Jesus says, Father, in a sense, he's talking to himself because he's the second person of the Trinity. And he's talking to the whole of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't just refer to the first person so that when he prays, when he interacts throughout his ministry, and when he talks about the Father, he's talking about the triune God in that sense. Now, the second person of the Trinity came into human flesh as Jesus Christ. And taking the form of a human nature, the office of a servant, humbling himself, he's subservient in that regard to the triune God. Now again, we say, how can that be? If Jesus is God, he's one with the Father. And it's true. According to his divinity, he's one. He's of the same essence, as we emphasized last Sunday. But according to his humanity... He is now subject to. He looks up to. He acknowledges the Father as Father. And so we conclude that the triune God sent Jesus Christ into this world in order to perform His perfect work. And the triune God preserved Him and kept Him and strengthened Him for that work so that Jesus lived His whole life for the sake of His Father for the sake of the triune God. We talk about the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's God. So how do we know the love of God? When we confess again, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, we confess this great God sent His own Son for my salvation. He sent His own Son to enter into human flesh so that Jesus Christ would come, sent by the Father, to perform the will of the Father. And so having confessed that, we realize then that the whole of the Bible has significance. The first chapters of Genesis are gospel. This is the revelation of how our Father created the creation and how He prepared everything for the coming of Jesus Christ. The first chapters have to do with salvation. There are those who would just toss the first chapters of Genesis saying they don't really have anything to do with Jesus. They don't really have anything to do with salvation. It's important for us to see. They serve as the gospel. They set forth the foundation of the wonder of God's works. And they testify to Christ and His coming. So that God had Jesus in view when He created Adam and Eve. He had Jesus in view when He made the animals coverings when he made the, the clothes of the 
when he took the animal skins and made clothes of them for Adam and Eve after their fall into sin. Jesus did all this, or God did all of this with Jesus in view. And God accomplished then the wonder of salvation by sending Jesus Christ. The greatness of God is seen in his sending his own son for the salvation of his church. And how in God's sovereign counsel, that was first. And everything else then is tied to it and flows out of it. God then, as the Father of Jesus Christ, created the world in which we live. And we look at that secondly. That's the point, secondly, that the Catechism makes. That for the sake of Christ, His Son, He made heaven and earth and all that is in them. Who likewise upholds and governs the same by His eternal counsel and providence. Lord willing, Next time we get to the truth of providence. But this time we have the emphasis here of the Father then of creation. God created everything out of nothing. That's our confession. All that existed was God from all eternity. There was no matter. And God now, out of nothing, created everything that we see in everything that exists. Matter is not eternal. That's the point of evolution. That's the point of the world. That always there has been something that existed. The Bible is clear. There was no shapeless matter. There was nothing. In the beginning, God. God is the only one that existed. Those who claim that matter is eternal deny the clear teaching of Scripture. 24 elders in Revelation 4 verse 11 say, Thou hast created all things. All things. In Colossians 1 verse 16, speaking here now of Jesus Christ, by Him were all things created. John, in John 1 verse 3, all things were made by Him. All things. The Bible clearly testifies all things were created by God. And Genesis 1 and 2 explains how it came to pass. And the rest of the Bible substantiates that teaching. Psalm 103, exalting and magnifying God as the Creator and the One who formed and fashioned the heavens and all that within them is. God found within Himself perfect enjoyment and satisfaction. It pleased Him to display those attributes, those characteristics outside of himself. And so, he did so in the beginning. That denoted the first moment of time. God created by the power of his word. He spoke and it came into being. The word create signifies some new thing entirely by one's own will and command. And that's the idea. God brought into being some new thing by his own will and command. Numbers 16 verse 30 says, if the Lord make a new thing. And that's what God did. Something that never existed before now comes into existence. If God creates a new thing by his powerful word, he's able to do so. And the Bible speaks of God doing new things again and again and again. Genesis 1 and 2 record the wonder of creation. By the all-powerful command, 
God spoke. And he made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Through faith, Hebrews 11, we believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11, verse 3. That's the evolutionist. Everything you see, it just appeared. By faith, we believe no. Things didn't just appear. By faith, we believe God created. We listen to the word of God, and by faith, we lay hold on it. We believe it. If God says so, it must be. Now, God distinguishes himself by this wonder. And the Bible speaks of that. Who is the God that creates? That God is Jehovah alone. The idols, they can't create. They can't do anything. And so Psalm 95, 94 verse 5 says, All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We find that contrast again and again in the Bible. The idols, they can't do anything, but in contrast to them, Jehovah, he made the heavens. He created all things. Jeremiah 10 verse 11, Thus shall ye say to them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Those idol gods, they didn't create anything. They didn't fashion anything. They're going to perish. But Jehovah, again, in contrast, is the creator. How did God do that? Again, we are familiar with the teaching of Genesis 1 and 2. On the first day, we read that God made the heavens and the earth, and he created light. On that first day, God created matter. He created the heavens and everything that is in them. We would insist then he, he created likely the angels, the whole angelic world at that time on the first day. The earth was created, but it was without form and void. So that on day one, he called into existence matter. Before that, nothing. Now, the heavens and the earth. And the earth without form or void. Then on the next five days, God ordered that matter. He called out of it additional aspects of creation and brought forth the wonders that exist today. So that he divided and he separated. He called forth birds and fish out of the water. He called forth the animals and the beasts out of the earth, out of the dirt. And he formed man, finally, out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Distinct from creation, the pinnacle of the creation, nothing was created after man. All the other creatures formed first for man to use to the glory of God. We know, according to the scriptures, these days were limited by morning and evening. Moses is the one writing this some hundreds of years after the creation took place. He knew what a day was as God inspired him to write. First day, second day. Morning, evening. Literal days, as is evident from the comparison of creation to our daily lives and the law. The law says, just as God created in six days, we work in, for six days. And just as God created six days and rested, the seventh, so we rest one day, the Lord's day, and we work the others. Already from the beginning, God determined evening and morning without even having to have the sun, which wasn't created until the fourth day. Now, beloved, faith is required to believe this. And that's, again, 
which brings us back to the Apostles' Creed. That's what we're confessing. When we confess the words of the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. We confess Jehovah God created all things. And this is an object of our faith. When creation seemingly conflicts with science, we go with the Bible and we go with what God teaches. But we try to bring the two together. We understand that as we learn about creation and as we learn about the stars and the galaxies, we stand in awe and we stand all the more seeing evidences pointing to God's hand in the creation. Recently, the church library added a number of books that demonstrate from science and from creation God's hand. And we read them and we glorify God in and through them as they display the wonder of God's works and as we see the majesty that's displayed. And as we study science and as we study the human body, we stand in awe. How could this just come to pass? Obviously, there's one behind this. Our Father. Now, God created the world to reflect His beauty, His glory, and His power. And God's attributes, then, are reflected in the whole of creation. As we live in the midst of this creation, we see His power in the storm. We see His majesty displayed around us. We see the beauty displayed. And the Bible testifies, no man can live in the midst of this world and say, there is no God. That's the testimony of Romans 1, 19 and 20. All men, as they stand in the midst of creation, are accountable before God. They see from the creation His glory, His majesty, His power, His greatness. And God's word comes to all men. Lift up their eyes on high. Behold, who hath created these things? Isaiah 40, verse 26. Those who are truly wise, who have been given by God the gift of faith, magnify, glorify, and praise the God of creation. And we stand in awe of the great wonders that God has worked. God not only created, He continues to preserve everything as its Father. All men and women are the offspring of God. Created by Him, and they find their existence in Him. Paul speaks of this in Acts 17, 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God gives life, He gives existence to all creation, enabling it to continue in His service and for His purpose. Now this fact does not bring us fallen mankind into His family. John makes that clear in the third chapter of his gospel to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Adam and Eve fell into sin. God restores us in Christ. And that brings us finally to the confession, God is my Father. We confess that God is the Father of Jesus Christ. He's the Father of the whole of creation, having fashioned it. But more importantly, He's my Father. And that's the personal confession that we make when we make that confession. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He's my Father. Now what does that mean? He created us in His image. 
We were born and fashioned of God. Now we know that that's a wonder. And that takes place according to the work of regeneration. By which heavenly life is inserted within us. Adam and Eve were created perfect after the image of God. They fell into sin. The image was lost. And the whole human race became totally depraved and given over to sin. The image of the devil is passed on to the human race. So that rather than reflecting and looking like God, they're children of the devil and they resemble the devil. God doesn't allow his children to remain in the image of the devil, dead in trespasses and sins. God works a wonder and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works regeneration. The Holy Spirit works new life. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. 1 John 3, verse 1. And that's the wonder that Psalm 103 here is speaking of. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who hath forgiven all thine iniquities, who hath healed all thy diseases. And goes on. This great God has looked upon me, a sinner, sinful, and He's seen fit to restore me into communion and fellowship with himself he's given me to know the wonder of his image so that now i look like him in a spiritual sense through christ righteous holy and true knowledge and though by nature in no way we resemble god by grace we do we look like we act like his children and we live according to his spirit the wonder of his work in us And we're the objects of His love, of His compassion, and of His care. He's our Father. We rely on Him entirely for all things. We have no doubt that He will give us everything that we need. He will uphold me, and He will uphold my family. He will provide me everything necessary for body and for soul. I experience lack, and you experience lack. And what do we do in those times of lack? We look to God and we trust that He will give us everything that we need. That He will turn all evil to our advantage. The confession that we make here in the Catechism is beautiful. On whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt, but He will provide me with all things necessary for for soul and body. And further, that He will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears, turn out to my advantage. For he is able to do it, being almighty God, and willing, being a faithful father. We live in a day and age with so much fear. The devil desires that we get caught up in that fear. So much of the world is living in constant fear of warfare, constant fear and terror of persecution and oppression. So much of the world lives in constant fear of disease. And we saw how COVID affected even Christians. The devil desires that. He wants us to live constantly in fear. And fear serves his purpose. And so he tries to sow that fear in our lives. And what he doesn't accomplish with war and with disease, he tries to accomplish in other ways. He tries to find ways to sow fear in our lives. So that we're paralyzed, so that we're fearful of our children. We're constantly fearful with regard to our grandchildren. We're fearful regarding the economy. 
We're constantly fearful about what's going to happen tomorrow, about prices, about our job, about weather. Fear paralyzes, and the devil loves nothing more than to see us living in constant fear. Now you say, there's so much, though, that provides anxiety in my life. If you only knew what I was experiencing, if you only knew the circumstances of my life, if you've only known what I experienced in the past and why there's so much fear in my life, there's no doubting. That fear exists. But what does God say about that fear? How does God respond to that fear? God drives us to himself and to his promises. We would ask this, what would Jesus say to someone filled with fear and anxiety? Jesus comes with compassion and he lovingly admonishes, fear not. Again and again, we have that admonition throughout Jesus' ministry, fear not. This was his repeated words to his disciples. They're in the boat. The storm is railing. They're filled with concern and fear. And remember, that's a picture of the church. The church in the midst of the world, belabored on every side, battled by the devil. She's so weak. How can she stand for a moment? How can we stand? How can our children stand? God comes to us with tender love and compassion. And God says, I am your father. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Look to me in your struggles. Look to me in your fears. You can't control everything in your life, but I will. And I am controlling everything. And I'm doing it out of love for you and for your well-being. You can't understand. And beloved, we can't. So often we ask, why does it have to be this way? Why do I have to experience these struggles, these challenges in my life? We struggle to see at times God's loving hand. And how is God my Father through this situation, through that? But as we live by faith, we make that our confession. And what we see as evil, we believe, He turns to my advantage. All I can see is the evil. But I trust by faith there is a positive. There is an advantage that He has a purpose that he's working with regard to this. And he gives grace. He gives strength to overcome temptation. He frees us from the paralyzing terror and the fear and the anxieties that take hold of us. And he brings us to know and to confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He's my Father, that one who created all things, who fashions all things. And He will give me grace. And He will strengthen me. And He will work all things together for my good. And we experience this, beloved, do we not, in our lives? God grants that faith. And we turn to Him and we look to Him. And so we back up. We ask ourselves this question. What is it that defines a Christian? He or she confesses to be a member of God's family. We don't think of a Christian merely as someone who is friendly. Someone who just lays claim to the name. We don't think of a Christian as one who simply confesses that they're trying to live a good life and that they're trying to be benevolent toward those around them. Trying to be better maybe than the next person. 
A Christian is one who confesses, God is my Father. And who lives out of that confession. Confessing, God loves me. God cares about me. God is the one that's upholding me and directing the whole of my life. He's adopted me into His family. And He loves me with a perfect love. A love that is everlasting. And so the child of God seeks after God. Desires to live in in friendship and fellowship with this God. He follows after the pathways of righteousness. He hungers and thirsts after God. He loves God's commandments. He calls them a delight. And he longs for the word of God and prays for the grace to walk according to it. The Christian, beloved, is a child of God who's born again from above. Who has the life of God living and pulsing within him. And who desires to live for the sake of his or her father. He or she knows their sin, knows their unworthiness. But they also know a bit of the nature of the father that has been implanted within them, the life that's from above. And as new creatures being prepared by God for glory, we serve him, we seek after him, we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we follow after him. Now we confess God is our Father for Christ's sake. I've not done anything to make myself worthy. I deserve to be cast off. But for Christ's sake, He loved me. How have I become a child of God? The catechism and the scriptures point us to Christ. God, as the Father of Jesus Christ, has embraced us for the sake of what Jesus did on our behalf. Jesus stood in our place. He took on himself the punishment we deserve. And he's the one who gives to us then the life that's from above. Behold what manner of love, the love of God, shed abroad in our hearts in Jesus Christ. A love that created everything for the sake of God and his glory. A love that forgives us all our sins for the sake of Christ. Again, what benefits Laying out all those benefits here in Psalm 103. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. His love is everlasting. As the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And he knows our struggles. He knows our fears. He knows our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it's gone. And the place thereof shall know no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to them that fear him. We cry out to him. And we confess, He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. And He will make whatever evils befall me in this valley of tears turn to my advantage. He's willing and He's able. He's my Father who's almighty. Now this is humbling for us as earthly fathers. And as children... And even adults, we don't pattern our idea of father after our earthly fathers. 
Earthly fathers are sinners. We're thankful for fathers who loved God, fathers who sought after God and confessed God and His greatness. But we realize earthly fathers fail. They lose their tempers. They strike out sometimes at their children. They abuse their children verbally, sometimes even sexually. Earthly fathers worry, sometimes too much. They don't show the patience often like they ought. They don't make time always for their children like they should. Earthly fathers are sinners. And as sinners, they're sinful sometimes in their treatment of those whom God entrusts to them. There are times when we treat God's little ones wickedly. We don't respond out of love. And we need to repent. And as fathers, we cry out for mercy and we look to our Heavenly Father who is gracious, who is merciful, who is faithful, and who is even able to use us, sinful, weak means, for His good in the lives of our children. We look to our Heavenly Father for the pattern of what it means to be a father. He who is perfect, sinless, loving to the end. He who never tires of our prayers, our cries. Who never slumbers, never sleeps, constantly is watching out and protecting and keeping his children. Who sends everything in love and who is constantly working together, everything for our good. He never abuses, never does anything in anger. That's our Heavenly Father. And as earthly fathers, we seek to pattern ourselves after our Heavenly Father. We pray for the grace to walk and to love, even as He loves and as He walks. We confess there's no universal fatherhood of God apart from Christ. Outside of Christ, all men are children of the devil. John 8, verses 39 to 44, make that explicit. But in Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. And in Christ, we're given that position and place and privilege of God's children. We obtain that right. And God speaks then of marvelous wonders. We're the recipients of an eternal inheritance. The condition of being sons and daughters of God is truly excellent. There's nothing like it. And so with joy we make this our confession. He is faithful. He never changes. And therefore I'm assured that He will love me, He will preserve me, He will keep me forever. He will protect me. He will provide for me everything that's necessary. Why? Because He loves me in Christ. How? I don't understand at times His manner, His dealings with me. It looks to me as though He's dealing with me in anger. But I go forward by faith, trusting and believing His Word to me, which is sure. In the midst of my loneliness, I look to Him. When all seems to be against me, I look to Him. When hardship after hardship comes upon me, I look to Him. In the midst of my sins, I look to Him, I repent, I cry out for mercy, and I lay hold upon the wonder of His forgiveness, that He truly has removed my transgressions from me. My Father loves me. He's watching over me. He's caring for me. Beloved, what a wonder. 
How highly we must esteem the fact that we are children of our Heavenly Father. The honor of being sons and daughters of the King, the Creator of heaven and earth. What can be more beautiful? What can be more blessed? What can fill us fuller than the wonder of that relationship? All praise, all honor is directed to Him. And we rejoice in the creation in which He has made as we confess Him as our spiritual Father. As we lay hold upon the peculiar treasure that is ours in that life that's from above. And as we confess that nothing, nothing can begin to compare to the wonder of this relationship. And therefore, all my relationships on earth flow out of it. Because I love God and because He's my Father, I love my wife. I live with my husband. I am diligent in my home. I seek to train up my children in His fear. I seek to show forth His praise in the congregation of the saints. Knowing and believing that He is my Father and that He's embraced me in love, I live my life out of thankfulness and out of praise, rejoicing, fearing not, because my Father knows my needs, and He is faithful. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the wonder of Thy love. Uphold us. Thou dost know the fears, the concerns that we battle against. Thou alone art able to grant unto us reprieve. And we look to Thee, and we cry out to Thee, And by faith we lay hold upon thy word and thy promises, believing that we have that inheritance that is most excellent and that thou hast given unto us to know thy fatherly love in Jesus Christ. Amen. We turn to 278, the familiar and beautiful versification of Psalm 103. The tender love a father has for all his children dear Such love the Lord bestows on them who worship Him in fear. We sing the five stanzas of 278.